the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's a fact. If the riches of the wealthy were suddenly given to the average American, the rich would have most of their wealth back in no time at all. Not because they're more deserved, but because they do a great job of getting us to spend it back to them. And once in their hands, they work it to their self-interest. The host of Get Rich Slow, Jim McAleese, believes the financial decisions you make today will guide your financial destiny tomorrow. Jim teaches you to plan for the worst and then hope for the best. America is under no obligation to provide what you need. Entitlements are out. Opportunity is today's watchword. Money matters can be intimidating, but they don't have to be. So start or supercharge your wealth-building plan now with Jim McAleese. Good morning, and welcome <clears throat> welcome to Get Rich Slow. This is your money school for financial winners. Here we explore strategies that help you prosper. We look at the big picture and then develop plans to help guide and our families to meet their financial goals. Get Rich Slow gives you solid financial strategies, strategies that will help improve your financial life. If you want the truth, not the hype, Please join us for the next hour for Get Rich Slow. I'm Jim McAleese, Certified Financial Planner and President of Cornerstone Consultants Incorporated, where securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group Incorporated, which is a member of FINRA and Civic. Cornerstone Consultants is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group. Well, good morning. The fall weather has been wonderful, and there's more to come. The days are bright and sunny, and the mornings start off in the 40s and get up to the 60s and 70s by midday. It doesn't get any better than this. No more 90-degree days, and now most days are dry and maybe a little brisk. This is a great opportunity to get outside, take care of our chores, we can always take the time to watch the chipmunks and the squirrels and as they gather food for the winter and just enjoy Mother Nature. And one of the chores this weekend should be to look for the outdoor Halloween decorations. Halloween is still three weeks away, so we have time. But if you're like me, the decorations, they could be in the basement, they could be in the garage, they could be in the barn. Uh, the best we can hope for is that we may have clearly marked the boxes and bags as Halloween decorations, but uh, even that I doubt. So we'll start looking today, and maybe we can take the time this weekend to check on how politics and global events are impacting our investment. This week, global equities had a good week. The U.S., the European Union, and Asia were all up. That was in spite of a resurgence of the COVID-19 in the European Union and in Asia to a lesser extent. Europe's leaders 
are stepping up efforts to contain the unrelenting surge of the virus cases. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. The Spanish government declared a state of emergency for the Madrid region. German Chancellor Angela Merkel warned that Germany faces a crucial moment. Italy reported the most cases since March. And uh, with the increase in the virus cases comes more travel restrictions in the European Union. European Union diplomats met in Brussels on Friday and reached a a deal on common thresholds for imposing block-wide travel rules, such as requiring quarantine or negative uh, COVID test results for visitors. The non-binding policy on which ministers were form, would will find formally sign off on Tuesday will offer some relief to the continent's uh, battered airlines and travelers totally confused by the patchwork of country-by-country measures. In the United States, President Trump and the White House are starting to return to normal today. That's after President Trump was diagnosed with a virus on Thursday of last week. And President Trump uh, returned to the White House on Monday with his doctor's assessment that he was fit to leave the Walter Reed Hospital, uh, but he needed to rest at home. So he he was resting at home this week, and later his doctor, uh, Commodore uh, uh, Commander uh, Sean Conley, uh, tentatively cleared President Trump to resume working today. Per Dr. Conley's uh, Uh, statements regarding President Trump, quote, overall, he responded extremely well to treatment without evidence on examination of uh, adverse uh, therapeutic effects. Uh, Dr. Conley then continued, uh, Saturday will be uh, day 10, that's today, since uh, Thursday's diagnosis, and based upon the trajectory of advanced diagnostics the team has uh, been conducting, I fully anticipate the president's safe return to public engagement at that time. So uh, today he's cleared for action. And, of course, we've heard uh, he's been active all this week. Uh, This week has just been full of surprises. Uh, The recovery of the president from his brush with the uh, COVID, that was a big one. The increase in the COVID cases in the European Union and the U.K., Uh, which may slow down their recovery. Uh, So far, the COVID deaths in the the, uh, European Union and the UK have totaled approximately 200,000, and uh, that's comparable to our 212,000 COVID deaths in the United States. And the third one was the negotiations regarding the... uh, off and on uh, uh, second uh, COVID uh, fiscal stimulus package has suddenly reappeared yesterday after President Trump called off negotiations on uh, Tuesday. So it's been off again, on again, and it looks like it it will be done either uh, before or after the election, and uh, it should be in the the range of somewhere between uh, 1.8 and and uh, $2 trillion, that's the numbers they're, they're, $2.2 trillion, that's the numbers they're talking about. So um, uh, it's, been a, it's been a wild week in terms of things happening. And, of course, with the election that's only 24 days away, 
so there'll be definitely be more surprises. Uh, with uh, political and uh, COVID surprises, the recovery of the of the U.S. economy looks kind of dull, but it is important because it's our money. Uh, last week, we reported that the U.S. payroll in uh, in September expanded by 661,000, and that was somewhat less than predicted and consisted of uh, 877,000 uh, new private sector jobs, but there was a loss of 206,000 local and school education jobs. These are jobs of support service uh, personnel in terms of janitors and, and cooks and things of this nature, which, because of the new online learning process, uh, uh, they weren't needed. They probably will be needed as the schools get back in, into more face-to-face -face, uh, learning. Uh, the September <clears throat> payroll increase of 661000 was less than it had been in August. August was uh, close to $1.5 million, and in, prior to that was July, which was close to $1.8 million. So, but uh, with 150 million workers, in uh, the workforce, there's still a lot of jobs, and during any month, approximately 5 million workers are changing jobs, and uh, some of them are quitting and moving to other jobs that were better uh, for their their advancement, and other ones are uh, getting laid off. Uh, this week, uh, we the government provided a picture uh, of the uh, employment situation from another viewpoint. Uh, the Labor Department on Tuesday issued its August report on job openings, and they're showing that there were about 6.5 million available jobs at the end of the month, slightly down from uh, the number that were available in July. The job openings and labor turnover lags behind the more closely watched monthly labor report that I just talked about. And uh, there was also uh, private sector data with regarding the jobs available in uh, this month, in, uh, not this month, in September. So the government report is for August, and the, there'll be other reports, uh, Glassdoor and stuff like that, that talked about this particular month. But according to the Wall Street Journal, the labor market and the economy more broadly are flashing signs of a slowdown. Monthly job gains and job postings have cooled, and more layoffs are becoming permanent. Uh, household income uh, fell at the end of September because of the drop in uh, federal supplements to jobless benefits. Uh, that was basically over at the end of uh, August. And uh, but uh, consumer spending is uh, still growing, but more slowly than before. If you remember, we reported last week that uh, uh, consumer uh, wages and, and income uh, in August were down 2.7 uh, percent, but uh, the spending was up 1 percent. So uh, people have been squirreling money away in their savings, and now the, with the uh, <clears throat> without the uh, the second stimulus package, they're drawing on their savings. So according to the Department of Labor, the level of job openings in August uh, was well exceeded by the 13.6 million people who were unemployed that month. 
and that's a sharp downturn from a year ago, from from early 2018 until February. Job openings had outnumbered the number of active job seekers, but it's pretty hard, pretty hard to uh, outnumber the unemployment that we have now. We'll get to that in a little bit, but uh, uh, you know, according to the Department of uh, Labor, the recovery in the U.S. openings uh, cooled in September from early summer, and uh, that's I, I think that is basically what you would expect. In other words, basically, we shut down the whole or the majority of the the economy in March and April, and then. Uh, it basically bottomed out in May and June, and since then, people have been going back to work, and uh, the companies have been uh, getting in, in growing and getting in position to uh, recover here. So the labor market is losing momentum uh, six months into the uh, corona pandemic, but to me, that's to be expected. In addition to the U.S. Department of Labor, the jobs website Glassdoor uh, showed the number of jobs posting fell three tenths of a percent in September from a month earlier, after logging monthly gains of between five and seven percent throughout the summer. So, uh, separate data from job sites, uh, Indeed, both uh, Glassdoor and Indeed uh, showed job postings uh, logged weaker improvements in September than in early summer. Uh, the exception basically was auto production. Uh, the auto industry usually is the first in and the last out of an economic slump, but the coronavirus uh, crisis is different. Uh, and it surprised me, and I think it surprised a lot of people, that uh, with uh, unemployment ranging around 11 this month, around 11 uh, million, uh, there is a great demand for new houses, uh, houses, and cars. So uh, let's talk about the cars. Demand for new vehicles has rebounded, but uh, the fear of catching COVID-19 and the problems of caring for school-aged children are keeping many workers at home, compelling uh, employers to raise pay despite the high uh, national uh, jobless rate. Uh, um According to Reuters, uh, Brian Colley, who is the head of the Boston Consulting Group's uh, global auto practice, said many suppliers are dealing with absenteeism rates of 10 to 15 percent, and that has led the United Auto Workers to give the Detroit automakers more latitude on using temporary workers to cover for absent full-time employees, according to uh, Union President uh, Rory Gamble. That's what he told uh, Reuters. And uh, we'll look at the details later in the show. And uh, also, um, continuing with the um, employment picture, so far we've talked about the uh, payroll increases in uh, September and the uh, the jobs that we've been posted in August and and also in September. Now, let's talk about what's happened in the unemployment benefits. This is where uh, uh, people, when they're laid off, they uh, can claim their benefits. And uh, and since the U.S. economy shut down in March and April, 22 million workers 
were laid off, and so far in the recovery, approximately half of those people have been brought back to work, but approximately 11 million are still unemployed and unemployed from week to week to week. Uh, on Thursday, the U.S. Department of Labor reported the status of unemployment benefits for the week of uh, September 26th through October 3rd. The U.S. unemployment claims remained elevated at 840,000 uh, last week as the labor market flashed signs of a slowdown and uh, more layoffs became permanent, this is according to Wall Street. Uh, weekly jobless claims were down sharply from a peak of nearly 7 million in March, but have checked in at around 800 to 900,000 basically for the last month. Uh, claims remain above the pre-pandemic peak of 695,000, oh, way above that. And the number of people collecting unemployment benefits through the regular states program uh, programs, which cover most workers, fell to 11 million in the week ending uh, September 26, uh, and it fell from 12 million the prior week. So. Uh, according to the Labor Department, a decline in the so-called continuing claims indicates uh, many workers are returning to work, but some of the claim, <clears throat> some of the drop, is uh, continuing claims. Uh, and continuing claims represents individuals who have exhausted the maximum duration of payments available through regular state programs, and. Uh, that's approximately 27 weeks, and uh, now they're collecting benefits through the federal program, which provides an extra 13 weeks of benefits. So we've got about another 2 million people that are receiving aid through the extended benefits program, and uh, and that's up from uh, 1.8 million a week earlier. That's according to the uh, Labor Department. So basically what you're seeing is that the... Uh, the number of people on continuing unemployment, uh, let's say two months ago, that number was uh, 18 million, but uh, now it's down to uh, uh, 11 million, and apparently it's going down at about 1 million uh, a month. So figuring uh, October, November, December, uh, that's only going to reduce that 11 by... Uh, to 8 million by the end of this year. So uh, there's going to be a, a lot of uh, people that will be unemployed uh, even at Christmas time. So there'll probably be about 8 million people that are still uh, unemployed. So uh, that's why the emphasis was on getting the economy uh, revved up again and growing again. So uh, this is, uh, you know, it's, 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 the labor is, the economy is, is basically in two parts, continually broken into two parts now. One part is the part that's susceptible to the COVID, which is basically uh, airline travel and uh, sports events and concerts and uh, restaurants and things of this nature. And that part of the economy is probably going to have to be in that state until we at least come up with a good therapeutic uh, or the vaccine. In other words, they're talking about a vaccine by the end of the year. Uh, most of the things that I've read 
took a more uh, cautious view and said by the second quarter of next year. But, of course, there's a big difference between when you introduce a vaccine and also uh, when there's enough vaccine material uh, available to be able to really vaccinate a a large group of people. So it might be all of 2021 uh, before everybody gets uh, vaccinated, and uh, it'll be uh, those those. Those uh, industries that are that are uh, have people-to-people contact and people are afraid to to uh, have that particular contact are going to be in distress. Now, manufacturing is not one of those. So, what you're seeing in manufacturing is the the uh, uh, picture is uh, brightening up in the terms of uh, manufacturing uh, bottomed out sometime in. Uh, uh, May or June, and it's been coming up ever since in a kind of a V-shaped recovery. So uh, even in the service industries, the service industries are, are, are basically uh, looking good, too. So uh, in terms of uh, uh, if we take a, in addition to the quality, quantitative picture on the U.S. economy that's provided by the Department of Commerce and the Department of Labor, uh, they talk about in employment and spending. There's also a qualitative picture of the U.S. economy. And this week, the surveys of managers in the service sector showed that the recovery of the U.S. service uh, businesses gained momentum in September, uh, while uh, fresh uh, coronavirus restrictions hurt activity in Europe and Asia. The Institute of Supply Management's non-manufacturing index a survey measure of activities in U.S. industries such as travel, healthcare, restaurants, and real estate, it rose to 57.8, and that was up from 56.9 in August. And uh, when we talk about these numbers, about 57.8 and 56.9, what uh, this involves is actually uh, surveys managers in the service industries, and and the managers are asked to grade this month versus last month. In other words, how are you doing this month versus last month? Are you doing better, about the same, or worse? And uh, how are you doing on on output? How are you doing on employment? How are you doing on orders? Have you got more orders this month than last month? Uh, all those questions are asked and uh, ground into a number uh, that, uh, if you're neutral, if you're not expanding or contracting, if this month shows that it was the same as last month, then that number should be around 50. But if it's higher than 50, that means you're expanding, and less than 50 means you're contracting. Well, what you're seeing right now is that the service industry's index number rose. Uh, to 57.8, up from 56.9 in August, which means that the service industries are growing at a reasonable clip. Uh, We also have data, the network data came from the Institute of Supply Management. There's also data from another organization called the uh, IHS Market Corporation. And uh, on Monday, they said that the U.S. uh, service index 
came in at 54.6 uh, last month and down slightly from 55 in August. Uh, that's basically a wash. They're close enough together. Uh, and they're, they're everything's still in the expansion territory. So both surveys track the direction as exposed to the magnitude. You know, in other words, if you take a look at these comments, what they'll do is tell you which direction the industry is moving in and how how fast it's moving. It doesn't tell you whether you're back to where you were in February, which was before this whole coronavirus mess hit. And uh, but it does tell you, hey, you're moving in the right direction, and you and you're moving at a good clip, and that's where we're at in the U.S. service industries. Uh, however, this is the however or the but. Uh, service providers, travel, hospitality, entertainment, and many others uh, were coming back more slowly as many consumers wary of fresh infections and concerned about their jobs and finances remain at home and cut their spending. So <clears throat> in the U.S., the pickup in demand for services captured in the survey aligned with a brightening outlook among U.S. shoppers. With the uh, two leading indices, we reported on this last week that the two e leading industries uh, of consumers, that was the University of Michigan Consumer Sentiment, that jumped up from uh, jumped up to 80-something in, uh, in September, and also the uh, uh, confidence level from the, uh, uh, the, the confidence level of the consumer also jumped up. So... Uh, the improvements among U.S. businesses and households contrast with Europe, where this uh, coronavirus resurgence began darkening the uh, economic outlook last month. So uh, they talked about Spain, and this is from the Wall Street. Uh, the U.S. service readings stood out from among other economic data in the country that showed a slowing pace of recovery. So if you talk to the managers, the managers are, are confident that this month was uh, much better than last month with regard to just about all of the uh, the uh, parameters that they're asked to look at, like employment and shipments and low orders and the backlog and just about everything. So this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Uh, you can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one eight eight eight. Two eight one eleven ten. That's one eight 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 two eight one eleven ten. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Hi, this is Colleen, producer of Get Rich Slow. Each week, we take calls from people just like you that have questions for our host, Jim McAleese. Oftentimes, Jim can't answer the questions in depth because of time restraints or the need for more detailed information. That's why we encourage you to call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc., the financial counseling service founded by Jim and Tama McAleese. Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. has helped thousands of clients get more for their money. Whether your financial goal is to avoid common investing mistakes, buying your next home, planning for retirement, finding that right mutual fund, or covering your assets... With the right kind of insurance, Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. will guide you to wise financial choices. So call Cornerstone Consultants, Inc. for an appointment today at 440-647-2793. That number again, 440-647-2793. 
888-346-2793. Now back to more Get Rich Slow. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one 888 Did I see a light there? There was Kelly? a light. There was a light. Um, <laughs> there be light. Yes. Yeah. I remember that one. Um, <laughs> Paul gave us a call, did not want to be on air. He says uh, he would like to know, does inheriting an annuity affect your Social Security benefits, which is a wonderful question. Oh, it's a wonderful event if you inherit something, too. Well, it's a good question, and basically, if you take a look at the uh, the Social Security, according to the rules on the Social Security Disability and Social Security Retirement Survivors Benefits, they they uh, remain changed, unchanged. They remain unchanged no matter how much your inheritance is. So... Your monthly benefits from these programs are only affected by your income from working. Now, if you're working uh, part-time or full-time, or uh, then uh, those numbers uh, are counted. If you're uh, not working, if you're less than the full retirement age, in other words, if we back up just a little bit, uh, the, you can uh, claim Social Security benefits at age 62, if you claim them before, um, and that's before full retirement age, which is generally today around 66 or 66 in some months, maybe six months or something. Everybody has a different uh, uh, full retirement age. And uh, if you're less than full retirement age and you're claiming benefits, then uh, you've got to live under the ceiling of uh, 18000 uh uh, uh, $18,000 or $19,000 per year, and if you exceed the ceiling, then uh, they take away a dollar of benefits for every $2 you're above the ceiling. But even with regard to the annuity, uh, that's not earned income, and uh, so you're not even uh, susceptible to that. I just wanted to you know, bring that up because uh, uh, there's, there, there's a lot of complexity to those rules. So if you do, if you haven't inherited an annuity, don't worry about your Social Security coming down because the Social Security is only impacted, benefits are only impacted by income from working if you're less than full retirement age in claiming benefits. So, uh, now, you're not totally clear, though, because the amount of that annuity could increase your Social Security uh, retirement benefits that are uh, taxable to you. So, in terms of determining what, uh, how much of your Social Security will be taxed, uh, what you generally do is take one half of your Social Security benefits and add up all the income, including even tax exempt income, income from uh, uh, work, uh, dividends, inherited annuities. You have all this in terms of the combined income plus one half of your uh, Social Security income. And then you compare that uh, basically to two numbers. Uh, if you're uh, uh, 
uh, if you're married finally, jointly, then, uh, uh, let's see, I'm looking at this table here. Uh, if you're a single filer and you're below $25,000, uh, uh, let's, let's go to the married one. If you're married and combined household income tops 32000 then you have to include half of the Social Security benefits into your computation of your taxes. Now, if your uh, combined income plus half of your Social Security exceeds 44000 then you've got to include approximately 85%, not approximately, you've got to include 85% of your Social Security benefits in the computation of your taxes, income taxes. So, um, also, an inherited, if you're in a special program for supplemental security income, uh, that's in a, that's a program where they do look at your income. And if you are re- receiving an uh, annuity, that means you may may or not be over the uh, income or the uh, asset limits that the Social Security Administration sets. But if you're not in those programs, if you're uh, collecting Social Security after your full retirement age or even before your full retirement age, the uh, there'll be uh, uh, that won't affect your Social Security benefits. It may increase the amount of Social Security benefits that are exposed to taxes, income taxes. So, um, hope that uh, hope that helped you with regard to. Uh, your particular situation, Paul. So if it didn't, give us a call and we'll go over it in, uh, on the line in detail. Okay. Uh, this is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Flow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. Um, you can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's one 888 You know, we talked, uh, we basically talked this morning about uh, what's happening in the employment picture and also what's happening in the, uh, uh, the service industries. And uh, yeah, from the looks of it, uh, the U.S. economy is coming back, and uh, certain parts of it are coming back in a V-shaped recovery, uh, you know, particularly manufacturing, and also it looks to be the service parts of the industries. Uh, service industries are also coming back. Uh, what's apparent is that that um, uh, that first uh, uh, fiscal stimulus uh, did have a big impact in putting money into people's pockets in uh, in uh, March and April. It was passed in uh, the end of March. I think it was March 28th, the CARES program. And uh, uh, that had a big impact during the summertime. But uh, now uh, uh, things are starting to slow down because uh, people uh, can't look forward to as much money as they had before. 
they did spend the money and did help the economy, and uh, apparently now they're talking about um, uh, bringing in more, uh, another uh, uh, a fiscal stimulus, and it looks to be in the region of uh, maybe $2 trillion. Um, the one the House of Representatives has a, an offer of 2.2, and the, the latest from the uh, president was 1.8, and uh, that suddenly appeared this week. So there's a lot of uh, a lot of negotiations going on with regard to that, and the question seems to be, uh, from what I've read in the in the uh, what I can glean, is that it will happen either before the election or after the election. So uh, to me, it's, uh, it's it's help is on the way, and uh, uh, to me, it'll give another jolt to the economy and get the economy. Uh, uh, back on this uh, V-shaped recovery. Uh, the parts of the economy that are subject to the coronavirus, like sports and, and uh, sports events and concert events and uh, uh, restaurants, uh, that's going to take a little longer and probably uh, will require some, even before the, va- the vaccine gets here, will require some sort of a therapeutic, uh, because right now uh, your senior population is not uh, uh, not so keen, uh, <laughs> that's an understatement, not so keen on uh, getting out and uh, getting involved in restaurants and things of this nature. So, and, you know, what, what you've seen with regard to the treatment of the presidency, I copied down all the all the all the treatment, uh, you know, he got uh, some sort of a cocktail from Remdesiv, and, and he also got something from uh, uh, Dexamethasone and everything else. And, and uh, uh, if there is indeed a, a uh, procedure that uh, is available to the senior people in terms of uh, getting this thing under control, if they do have it, uh, then I think that you gradually see the senior population become, uh, you know, doing a little bit more traveling, doing a little bit more visiting, things of this nature. So I I think uh, help is on the way, certainly in those areas of the service economy and the the, uh, manufacturing economy that aren't subject to this face-to-face meeting and, and uh, the crowds and stuff like this, uh, they are improving dramatically. And uh, and that helps improve the uh, uh, the uh, profits of the companies and uh, uh, helps support the stock market. So to me, uh, one of the things we have to look at is, uh, uh, you know, what's happening in our particular situation. In other words, uh, we can look at the big picture all we want to, but the big picture in terms of the economy is only a small part of our financial plan. Our financial plan basically has to say, okay, we have goals, and if you're young, what are your goals? And typically it's, uh, I want to get a car, I want to have an apartment, and if if you grow older, it's more like... uh, uh, getting married and uh, having a house and starting a family. And as you get older, it's a matter of uh, uh, 
the kids are going off to school and how they, how are we going to make that happen? And as you get older, it's a matter of uh, retirement is uh, 20 years away. You know, it's just like, uh, you know, when you get to be 45 or 50, uh, uh, look at us. We're, we're rich. We've got the house paid off and the kids are out of the house. And, and suddenly we don't have all these liabilities, but you still have uh, 30. And when you get to be 65 or 70, there's still going to be 30 years of retirement where you're going to have to have the uh, money together with the uh, the government social security programs and things of this nature to make your way. So the important thing is that you realize you have these goals and uh, uh, you can't wait till the last minute that you really need uh, your money to grow. And in order to uh, make it grow, uh, you have to have, you have to save it first. So uh, saying, well, if I had money, uh, where would be the best investment? Well, the first thing to do is don't worry about where the best investment is. It's worrying about getting some money to invest. And that basically means that you have to sit down with your budget and you have to uh, sit down with your uh, your income, your revenues, call it a cash flow statement, and uh, you have to say this much is coming in and this much is going out and uh, to support the standard of living, and there has to be so much that's put into savings. Savings for the new home, savings for the uh, uh, children's education, savings for the retirement. And you have to say, well, how much do I have to put into these things? And basically, it's more than you think. Uh, You have to be able to be putting away something like uh, 20% of your uh, take-home pay into the, well, it depends upon your, depends upon where you are in life, and it depends upon uh, what your goals are. But these are approximate numbers. But you do have to sit down and lay out the program, put the program on track, uh, invest here for, invest in, uh, in mutual funds or stocks or ETFs, invest in real estate, invest in other things to be able to let that money grow to the point where uh, you can be comfortable in, in accomplishing your goals. And uh, it takes it takes discipline. You know, it's the old... Uh, uh, it takes discipline and it takes focus. Uh, the old saying is, let's say, how do you lose weight? Uh, you lose weight by uh, eating less and exercising more. Oh, that sounds easy. How <laughs> come we're all overweight? Uh, and the the idea here in in uh, uh, wealth is to uh, spend less and save more. So if you spend less and you save more, and you take that uh, uh, savings and invest it and uh, keep track of it and modify your plan as you go through life. Uh, some things that uh, you counted on to make a certain amount of money may not, so you have to change your investments. Uh, it gives you that sense of, it gives you uh, a focus, something that you can keep track of for the rest of your life and a, and a uh, focus on the important things in life because these are important things. If you end up with... Uh, uh, 55 years old or 60 years old and don't have enough money for retirement, things get very, very serious very, very quickly. So um, 
pay attention to your financial plan. Go to a financial planner. Sit down and talk to them. Uh, they've been you, you. This is the first financial plan uh, you've made, but uh, the, the financial planning industry has been involved in this thing for uh, aeons and has seen millions of people. So whatever you have is not going to surprise anybody, and there's going to be a method of uh, achieving the goals that uh, you lay out if you're. If you're soon enough, you know, we, it's not a matter of making uh, gold out of straw. It's a matter of uh, using time to uh, get, your re- get your retirement and your savings plans and your investments squared away so that you can uh, meet your goals. And talking about meeting the goals, uh, this week I'm looking at the uh, uh, Standard & Poor 500, which is the uh, the capitalization of the 500 leading companies, leading earnings of leading companies in the U.S. Uh, industries, and uh, Standard and Poor 500 closed up 3.3, oh, 3.8 percent uh, this week at 3,477.13. So uh, you did well this week, but again, we have this. Uh, we're, I think we're 24 days away from the election, and there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, surprises between uh, now and then. So the important thing is to spend less and save more and uh, get to a point where uh, you know what your goals are, what they cost, and you're on your path to uh, meeting all those goals. So uh, this is Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Get Rich Slow. This is your host this morning, Jim McAleese. You can give us a call over our toll-free number. It's 1-888-281-1110. You know, we started this uh, uh, talk this morning with regard to uh, uh, job openings and the labor turnover and things of this nature. And uh, uh, give you a feel for, you know, when I, when I quote percentages and stuff like that, uh, it's kind of a summary of really what's going on, but if if to put it in a real context, you have to take a look at uh, a, a kind of a chart of what's going on here. For instance, like uh, the number of hires and the number of job openings. Uh, in let's start in February. In February, uh, there were approximate there were approximately. 5.9 million hires in February in that one month. Okay, that's the number of people that are moving around in our 150 million worker uh, workforce. Okay, sounds like a big number, but not compared to 150. All right, so February, we were uh, the industries were hiring 5.9 million people. Then in March, we saw the start of the uh, shutdown. And suddenly the uh, hiring 
went down from 5.9 to 5.1. And then in April, we saw the real effect, and then uh, the hiring went down to 3.5 million. And uh, then suddenly we we began to bounce off the bottom, and suddenly in May, the hiring went jumped up to 7.2 million, and then in June, 6.7 uh, million, and then in July, 5.9 million hires, and then in August, another 5.9 million hires. So basically. Uh, what you saw there was the number of hires in February before this whole mess hit the fan. Uh, the number of hires was about 5.9, and then we went through this really bad dip in uh, April and May, and then or March and April, and then we bounced back up in in May, and we were now back to uh, the hiring is at the same rate that it was in uh, February. Okay. Uh, if we look at the uh, number of uh, separations, uh, we see a slightly different story. We saw the in uh, February, number of people let go were 5.7 million. Boy, in March, at 5.7, turned into 14.6 million. And then in April, it turned into uh, 9.9 million. So people were being thrown out the door. Uh, very fast. So then you talk about uh, uh, May, and May was uh, 4.2 million, and then June was 4.9, and then uh, July was 5 million, and now we're down to August, and it's 4.6 million. So uh, the number of separations is less today than it was in February. And if we take a look at the uh, job openings, uh, the the jobs that are posted. When I say job openings, I mean posted jobs. It could be on the uh, uh, on your uh, your companies that are like Indeed and uh, Glassdoor, or it could be on the bulletin board, or it could be in the newspaper. Uh, February saw seven million jobs uh, open for how people could get a job. March dropped down one million to six million, then April dropped down to five million, and then May it began to move up five point four million, and then June was six million, and uh, July was six point seven million, and right now we're at six point five million. So uh, when you take a look at the numbers, the numbers uh, uh, of job openings didn't. Uh, it it dropped, but right now it's just a little bit less, 6.9 versus uh, in, in uh, August versus 7 in February. The number of jobs opening, uh, openings are just a little bit less than they were before. The number of hires uh, per any month are equal to what they were in uh, February. And the number of separations are less than uh, what you saw in February. So... It's in between where uh, you saw March and April with uh, separations in the order of 14 and 14.7 million and, and 9.9 million. Uh, this, this basically, if you take a look at the uh, uh, the jobs that are open now, 
in manufacturing, uh, there's something like 460,000 job openings. In manufacturing, is is coming back faster than anything. Uh, maybe maybe manufacturing and construction are, are nip and tuck. Construction is along that. Uh, 200 264,000 jobs are being posted there. Uh, uh, and uh, if you take a look at the number of hires, construction posted uh, 264 jobs and hired three uh, close to 400,000 people in uh, one month, and then manufacturing in August. And then uh, manufacturing uh, posted uh, 460,000 jobs, and uh, they hired 392,000 workers. Trade and transportation was kind of like construction. They uh, they posted 1.1 million jobs and hired 1.2 million people. Uh, so wherever you're, you're, what you're seeing is that the economy is picking up, and the only places where there's a big difference between uh, the number of hires and the number of jobs posted is in the health care. And the health care had 1.1 million job offers, but only uh, uh, 650,000, uh, 615,000 workers were hired, which means that, you know, they got a lot of, a lot of uh, job openings, but they're only hiring those ones that, uh, you know, the, the pick of the litter, so to speak. So, uh, to me, it's an indication that the economy is coming back the way we want it to come back. It's just a matter of time now. And uh, if I take a look at the uh, unemployment benefits, what I'm seeing is that the unemployment benefits are going down approximately a million uh, a month. A number of people are continuing unemployment. Went from 12 million last month to 11 million this month. So, figuring that by the end of the year we'll be down to 8 million, which is still a big, big number, but something that we have to uh, figure on the uh, uh, keep looking and uh, uh, that the economy is coming back. Uh, the uh, In terms of uh, the manufacturing numbers, uh, they talked about September uh, PMI data from the market corporation indicates the sharpest improvement in operating conditions across the U.S. manufacturing sector. So uh, we're getting there. Just be, pac- be patient. Uh, and we'll be there before you know it. This is Jim McAleese. You're listening to Get Rich Slow. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. Welcome welcome back to Get Rich Slow. You know, one of the important things in life is our ability to think through a problem and, and arrive at a happy conclusion. And the thinking part is nice, but the even nicer is coming to a happy conclusion. So here's an example. Uh, in a small town hundreds of years ago, a small business owner owed a large sum of money to a loan shark. The loan shark was a very old, unattractive-looking guy that just so happened to fancy fancy the business owner's daughter. Hmm. He decided to offer the businessman a deal. I got a deal for you you can't refuse. (laughs) 
held for the businessman a deal that would completely wipe out the debt he owed him. However, the catch was that he would only wipe out the debt if he could marry the businessman's daughter. Hmm. Needless to say, this proposal was met with a look of disgust from the daughter. And the loan shark, uh, he proposed that uh, he would put two pebbles into a bag, one white and one black. The daughter would then, have, would then reach into the bag and pick out a pebble. If it was black, the debt would be wiped out and the loan shark would then marry her. If it was white, the debt would also be wiped out, but the daughter would not have to marry the loan shark. Standing on a pebble path in the businessman's garden, the loan shark bent over and picked up two pebbles. While he was picking them up, the daughter noticed that he picked up two black pebbles and placed them both into the bag. He then asked the daughter to reach into the bag and pick one out. The daughter naturally had three choices as to what she could have done. One, she could refuse to pick out pebbles from the bag. Two, both pebbles, she could pick both pebbles out of the bag and expose the long shark for cheating. Or she could pick a pebble from the bag, fully knowing fully well that it was black and sacrifice herself for her father's freedom. She drew out a pebble from the bag and before looking at it, accidentally, dropped it into the midst of the other pebbles on the path. She said to the loan shark, Oh, how, how clumsy of me. Never mind, though, if you look into the bag for the one that is left, you'll be able to tell which one I dropped. Uh, the pebble left in the bag was obviously black, and seeing as the loan shark did not want to be exposed, he had to play along, and as if the pebble that the daughter dropped was white, and clear her father's bed. The moral of this story, it's always possible to overcome a tough situation through out-of-the-box thinking and not give in to the only options that we think we have to choose from. So enjoy yourself this week until we meet again. And may God... You have been listening to Get Rich Slow with host Jim McAleese. For an outline and registration form regarding the Money School series, call 440-647-2793. For a complete list of books written by Tama McAleese, call 440-647-2793. Or to make an appointment with Jim regarding your own personal financial issues, call 440-647-2793. Jim will be back with Get Rich Slow next Saturday morning on 1420 WHK with more common sense finance strategies for financial winners. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Next Financial Group, Inc., a member of FINRA and SIPC. Cornerstones Consultant, Inc. is not an affiliate of Next Financial Group, Inc.